This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. The turkey is on the table, Labs, and the only question I have for you relating to Thanksgiving, are you a stovetop stuffing guy, or does that thing have to be in the bird? Um, it doesn't have to be in the bird, but there are other... Uh, see, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spoiled... Oh, boy. Uh, Got to be homemade stuffing. Homemade stuffing. Yeah. I am right there with you being spoiled there because my mom makes the best homemade stuffing, and it makes stovetop look like crap. I want that out of my sight based on what my mom's bringing to the table with yeah, the Yeah, there's, there's two kinds of stuffing at the Labriola house. The in-the-bird stuffing, which is not, is a little different. Um, and then the uh, on the, the other stuffing, you know, cornbread. Right. There's a little Italian sausage in it. Oh, there you yeah, go. you know. So, yeah, I, I, I got to go with the homemade recipes. I love it. Favorite dish for Thanksgiving? I lie. There's another question. Because mine is the stuffing. Yeah, I mean. The, the, it's just so rare. You don't get it most times of the year. They you never know? get it. Right, exactly. Yeah, probably the stuffing. And then the, the stuffing that's in the bird has uh, a little ground meat in it Oof. and um, raisins. And so, you know, actually, because then that will cut. And it almost looks like it has the consistency of. Uh, burgers. Oh. And so that makes an outstanding leftover sandwich. You're too, speaking my language right there with that. That sounds great. I might have to come over to the Labriola house. Oh, you're not for some lunch. There's, okay. not, a, not, there's not, not enough to share. Okay, we're not there yet. It's all right. I'll get there. You can eventually. come over, but you don't get any of that. How about that? <laughs> Let's get right to the questions here. Mark Price from Arlington, Virginia asks, can you please tell me why the Steelers picked a running back in the first round of the most recent draft? I'm asking because when faced with a first and goal from the five-yard line, the Steelers threw three straight incomplete passes. Please explain why they did not run the ball. I can't, I can't you know, I, I hate these questions that ask me impossible questions to answer. <laughs> I have no explanation for that, Mark. In fact, I am on your side. Uh, I didn't agree with the strategy that you're describing uh, as it was unfolding. I don't understand it now. But I do think that there is some hope on the horizon based on what we saw in the game against the Chargers where after the pass interference uh, down at the goal line, the Steelers got a second shot yeah. at a goal-to-go situation against the Chargers. Out came the jumbo package. <laughs> out came Derek Watt. Uh, Najee Harris up the middle touchdown. Mike Tomlin was asked about whether he called uh, his involvement and he's uh, you know on game days, and he says he's involved in – um, all aspects, offense, defense, and special teams. The follow-up question was, do you suggest plays ever? And he said, I do more than suggest. Uh, A.K.A. He hey, Matt, <laughs> right. we're putting Banner and Watt in the game and you're running <laughs> right. the football. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dennis Moore from Albrightsville, Pennsylvania asks, what was your evaluation of Mason Rudolph? I read Coach Tomlin's evaluation that he gave us a chance to win, I saw a quarterback with little touch throwing high fastballs at receivers or bouncing it in front of them. Well, let me say this. Um, first of all, I thought the Steelers did uh, Mason Rudolph a disservice by having him execute or try to execute the game plan that had been devised for Ben Roethlisberger. Right. Now, I understand the reality of the time constraints and the fact that they didn't know Ben wasn't going to play until Saturday at 5 o'clock. And the, and the uh, game was at Sunday at 1. Okay, I get all that. But I do believe that the game plan, you know, is is um, broad enough 
and it covers enough things that you can tweak it a little bit with the plays that you call. And so that I thought that you know calling too many of the plays that uh, maybe for Ben uh, was a little bit of a disservice to him. Um, but let me say this also. Um, I, I, and while I agree with your um, example of high fastballs bouncing in front of receivers, the really bad one was the one to Ray Ray McLeod. He was yeah. open in the end zone, skipped it into him. Yeah, right. You can't have that. But, you know, also, um, I don't think we're talking about this in this way. If Deontay Johnson doesn't fumble, if Fryermuth doesn't fumble, if uh, Ulysses Gilbert doesn't run into the kicker, you know, all of those other slappy things that happened that had nothing to do with the quarterback play. Uh, I just think that uh, things are viewed differently through the prism of a victory. Uh, so he wasn't great. Uh, I would have to agree with Tomlin. He gave the Steelers a chance to win. The other, pe- A lot of the other uh, players and phases of the game let him down. Yeah, that's really the job of the backup quarterback, right? Just right. give us a chance to win the game right. when you have to step Don't in. Don't lose the game for us. And he certainly did not lose them that football game because no one lost that football game because it ended in a tie. That was a loss. Felt like a loss. <laughs> Still does. Todd Bowley from Chatham, Ontario, Canada. When a ball carrier uses a stiff arm on a would-be tackler, why is he allowed to contact the head-slash-face mask of the defensive player without being called for a penalty? Uh, it's, you know, it's the rule. Um, they won't call that unless the running back either grasps the face mask or twists the helmet or, you know, those kind of things. So, um, you know, the, really the only player who is uh, given protection in terms of just, you know, touching or lightly hitting the helmet is the quarterback in the pass pocket. Um, that's usually not the case uh, for a running back who is run, usually running down the sideline. That's when we're in the open field. That's usually when stiff arms are attempted to be executed. So as, as long as the running back doesn't grasp the face mask or twist the helmet, he's not going to get called. Just keep that open hand, and the flag will stay off the field. Eric Ash from Wellsville, Ohio. As everyone knows, there are many problems with officiating in the NFL. It seems to me from watching on TV there is much inconsistency as to where the officials spot the ball. From my viewpoint, it appears the spot almost always favors the offense regardless of the team. Would you agree? Yes. And, you know, that's uh, partially, I believe, uh, the league has a, uh, an interest in offense, fans like scoring, you know, those kinds of things. So I do believe that there's kind of an unwritten rule. Uh, if you're going to err, err on the, to the favor of the offense in those kinds of situations. And the other thing that's – it's just the way the, the spotting of the ball is executed to me, which, um, you know, leads itself to a lot of these things. The Usually it's one of the officials on the line of scrimmage, you know, on, on one sideline or the other, depending upon, you know, if the ball goes to the hash mark towards the visiting sideline, as an example, uh, a pass play, an eight-yard pass play or an eight-yard run, then the official who started that play – on the line of scrimmage on that side of the field, then will run down and try and spot the ball. Now, he, he's not standing where the guy was tackled. He's trying to catch up to them. He's yeah. trying to catch up. So he's looking at it from behind. So that, I think, puts him in a disadvantage anyway. And so it's guesswork from the beginning. So, But, uh, yes, Eric, you are correct. Uh, it does benefit the offense. And the players know it's guesswork a lot of the time because – a lot of offensive players will get that extra inch, extra yard, and sometimes the ref doesn't correct that spot. Well, and, you know, they're, they're generous in that 
in in all of those kinds of plays. Yet on a touchdown, they'll review it a hundred times. Right, centimeter line. Yeah, right. It's out exactly. of the end zone. Yeah. Right. Corey Beavers from Louisville, Kentucky. Have there been discussions of the NFL adopting the college rules for overtime, or is it a programming issue at that point if an NFL game drags too far along? No, it's not a programming issue. I don't think uh, any of the uh, league's broadcast partners care. You know, if it's a if it's a good game, people will watch that more than uh, anything else that the, any other programming that might be on. I mean, there might even be, if it's a bad game in the NFL, well, people tend to watch that more than right anything because else. when you're looking at you know, at the end of the TV season when they rank the top 20, oh, yeah. you know, 13 or 14 of them are all NFL games anyway. Um, but the college rule for overtime, I mean, I, I don't know, Corey, did you watch the Penn State-Illinois game? Ugh. Uh, you know, nine overtimes, and after the first couple, it was uh, like watching the Steelers at training camp do seven shots. No doubt. Uh, and so the, what, what they don't want to do is change the game. To determine a winner, you know, like hockey has two different kinds of hockey that are played. You know, oh, first of all, overtime goes from five on five to three on three, and then if that that doesn't um, yield a winner, then they do a shootout. Well, the NFL is not going to turn it into a carnival game, field goal sk- kicking contest, right? Skills <laughs> competition. Uh, they, they're not going to do that because first of all, in hockey, there's 82 games in the regular season, and in, in NFL, there were 16 now, 17. One game is huge. You know, oh, yeah. it's a huge. So um, they want to play the sport the way it's played and limit the exposure to the players in terms of player safety. I don't think it's ever going to go to the college uh, rules. I agree with that. Bobby Roy from Queen Creek, Arizona. Have we seen the last of Stephon it? I feel for the young man. Um, I believe the Steelers feel for him too, but I have no idea what will happen with Stephon it this season. And I know fans keep asking, and I know they want answers, uh, but there are none. There are no answers to this. The Steelers are not talking about it. Uh, he's on IR, so they don't have to. Right. Um, Stephon Tewitt is not talking about it. And so, really, I, I, I'm sorry. I got nothing for you. Nothing. And couldn't imagine what he's going through. He deserves all the time in the world that he needs to work himself back. Aaron Lowe from Washington, D.C. asks, how many players can a team bring back, bring back Excuse me, from the injured reserve list? I noticed that Carlos Davis is practicing with the team, and the Steelers have 21 days to make a decision whether to add him to the 53-man roster or return him to IR for the rest of the year. The Steelers have brought back Zach Banner and Anthony McFarlane Jr. from IR. If they bring Davis off IR, does that mean Steph Tewitt is done for the year? No, there's no limit uh, on the number of players that – a team can bring back from IR now. So uh, that was changed, I believe, uh, before the 2020 season, uh, partially because of the pandemic and the potential impact on rosters. Uh, That was continued for the 2021 season. And now at this point, I don't know that they're ever going to go back to the old way. So, no, anything that the Steelers are doing uh, or want to do or have done in terms of uh, IR to the active roster, have no bearing or impact on Stephon it. They certainly could use Carlos Davis back on that defensive line as well. So hopefully he gets activated real soon and they don't lose him for the year. Jeff Rossbrug from Orem, Utah. 
I thought the 16-game schedule was very balanced. Two games against each division opponent, one game against every team in one AFC division, one game against every team in one NFC division, and the two remaining games against teams in a different division in the same conference who finished in the same slot as the team in question. With the 17-game schedule, how is that final opponent determined? Well, it's a rotation. First of all, it, uh, it's an intra-divisional game, meaning uh, the 17th game for all AFC teams is an NFC opponent and vice versa. So there's that. And then they rotate them. So, for example, this year, 2021, the AFC North was uh, paired with the NFC West. Okay, and then um, your opponent is based on where you finished in the previous year. Okay. The Steelers won the division, the AFC North, in 2020. The Seahawks won the AFC West in 2020. The Steelers play the Seahawks. And then the site of the game is just alternated. So one year, all, for example, 2021, all the AFC teams were the home teams okay. in the extra game. Next year, all the NFC teams are the home teams in the extra game. And then they just rotated around like that. You know what? Even I learn something new every time we do this podcast. I had no idea how they picked that 17th team, and now I do. Now you do. You're enlightening me every day, Labs. <laughs> Steve Vance from Lake Placid, New York. In the 50-some years of being a dedicated and loyal Steelers fan, the game against the Lions easily had to be one of the top three most frustrating games I've ever watched. I assume after reading your follow-up to the game, you were a bit vexed as well. If so, where did this game land on your all-time list of tough games to watch? Okay, Steve, seriously, 50 years. You say you're a Steeler fan, dedicated and loyal Steelers fan, and you're trying to tell me that 16-16 to against the Lions is one of the most, how did you, what were your exact words? Frustrating, Frustrating games, games you've ever watched. Get them, Labs. 50 years. Get them, Labs. What about the 1994 AFC Championship game? <laughs> there were some stakes involved <laughs> in that one, right? What about Super Bowl 30? <laughs> hey, Chan, Chan, run the ball. The Cowboys defenders, they're leaning on their knees. They're gassed. Don't let Neil throw it anymore. How about Jesse caught the ball? Oh. How about that game? I mean, you want to talk about changing the entire landscape of the season. 50 years and the Lions tie. Oh, come on. I mean, uh, I, I know I'm old. I understand that. But 50 years is a long time, too, to go back. And 16 to 16 against the Lions. How about the Houston game, the Tommy Maddox giveaway game? How about that one? Where Houston, well, Houston gained what? Like? Houston, 42 yards or something yeah. ridiculous. And won twenty four to six. Something <laughs> I mean, oh, um, let's we need we need a little bit more perspective on some things. And I get it. The Lions game was annoying, and I still refer to it as a loss, but not in franchise history. Those three examples you gave in your answer, I mean, they'll live with me forever. I'll never forget them. Ten years down the road, I'll forget they tied the Lions sixteen to sixteen in week ten I'll, of the I'll NFL bet you, season. I'll bet you in, if I come with you in December and say, "What was the score of that Lions game?" You uh, might have to nineteen something. <laughs> yeah. Angelo Morella from Poland, Ohio. How many quarterbacks in the NFL currently call their own plays? None. I mean, there's. I, I'm assuming Angelo, you're not talking about hurry up, two minute, you know that kind of stuff, or audibles at the line of scrimmage. But the days where, for example, Terry Bradshaw called every play uh, in all four Super Bowls, uh, that just that doesn't exist now. anymore. Yeah, uh, Dallas 
and uh, the 70s Cowboys and the 80s uh, 49ers with their um, coaches that believed that you know they should have control over everything kind of ended the era of NFL quarterbacks calling their own plays. And finally, Jeffrey Mason from Waldorf, Maryland asks, NFL overtime ties are ridiculous. Few other sports allow games to end in a tie. Solution, if no team scores or they each kick a field goal in the overtime period, the team that gains the most yards in overtime wins a single overtime tiebreaker point and wins the game. If on very last play of overtime, Team B ties Team A in yards, Team A wins the overtime tiebreaker points since they had the lead first in yardage gained in overtime. On the last play of the overtime period, Team B must exceed Team A in yards by one or more to get that winning single point. If a defensive struggle, team that gains minus eight yards beats team that gained minus nine yards during the overtime period by, again, earning the overtime tiebreaker point. What do you think, Bob? Did you follow any of that? I read it word for word, and I still have no clue I mean, what came out of my unless, mouth. Unless Jeffrey wants to make himself available to translate this in every every situation in which there's a tie game in the NFL after four quarters, um, you know, we've already talked about the the league having no interest in no turning interest, it into a yeah. carnival game, carnival uh, attraction, midway thing, or a skills competition. Um, you know, rock, paper, scissors. Let's, I mean, if we're going to get stupid, let's, let's really go, let's dive in and get ridiculous and just because, you know, for me, rock, paper, scissors is pretty complicated to remember. You know, what, okay, it's rock beats, you know, covers paper. Paper covers, covers rock. Paper covers yeah, rock. Right. Okay. Scissors cuts, cuts paper. Cuts paper, obviously. And the then rock smashes the scissors. scissors. Okay. <laughs> but the most important question, Labs, is it best two out of three? It's got to be best two out of three. Or is it best three out of five? Uh, now we have to change the new <laughs> overtime rules already. This is a nightmare. Thanks for opening up Pandora's box, Jeffrey. That's going to do it for this edition of Asked and Answered. Hope you all have a lovely Thanksgiving this week. And Labs and I will be back again next week for another edition of Asked and Answered.